This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Before we get into the interview, I want to announce, if you don't know already, that Coffee Stains is now available for pre-order. On episode 99, I read the very first chapter of Coffee Stains, so if you would like to know a little bit more about the novel, head on over to episode 99 and you can listen to the full first chapter there. The pre-order is on Amazon, Kobo, and Bards & Noble. Pre-ordering helps me a little bit because it tells the algorithm that people are interested. If you're interested in coming of age stories, stories about strong female characters who have to make really difficult decisions, I think that Coffee Stains might be for you. Please share it with whoever you think might be interested. I'm very excited about this novel coming out. It's my third novel. It took a lot of work. The idea of the novel came to me 14 years ago. So it has been bubbling under the surface and has been edited and rewritten several times. And I'm really proud of the novel and I think that you guys are really going to like it. So links are in the show notes as well. Come celebrate with me by pre-ordering it or sending it to somebody who you know will enjoy it. Now, onto the show. Hello, writers and readers alike. It is September 27th, 2021. I'm Kat Caldwell, your hostess for the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, and this is episode 100. Yes, we've made it to episode 100. And in celebration, I have a great guest. His name is Ross McMeekin. He is the author of The Hummingbirds, which was published by Skyhorse in 2018. And he's written several essays and short stories, which have been published in places like Virginia Quarterly Review, Tin House's Open Bar, Red Divider, and Maudlin House. He holds an MFA in fiction from Vermont College of Fine Arts. He edits the literary journal Spartan. And he has won the Emerging Writer Fellowships from Hugo House, and Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle. It was really fun to talk to Ross, and I'm not going to give you too much preview into our conversation that you are about to listen to. I wanted to talk to you about short story writing. We talk quite a bit about it together because he is a short story writer, and I'm pretty sure that when you're doing your MFA, you have to actually write quite a few short stories. They are a great way to really get into what story structure is, you know, how you actually go from the scene or the setting in your head or the character in your head into making a story that people care about, finding an ending for it, a good middle for it. Short stories are kind of what we're taught to do in high school. That is a lot of times I think where people see that they enjoy writing and they enjoy coming up with stories. But I don't think we're actually taught enough about them to not have to go and learn a little bit more about the craft, as you all have heard me talk about this season on the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I am a little obsessed right now with learning the different theories behind the craft. And I love 
hearing all of them. I think everyone is a little bit right and a little bit wrong at the same time. And I think we can learn from everybody. I also think that the way that you write or the genre that you write in is going to influence the theories on craft that you're going to be drawn to, right? So we talk quite a bit about short stories. And what's interesting is where short stories brought Ross McMeek into. I'm not going to give it away, but you're going to want to keep listening to hear what short stories can do for you. They not only hone the craft that you have a talent in as a writer, but they get your exposure and they get your exposure in a way that you might be surprised about. I I know I was. So I love writing short stories. In fact, no, let me, let me rephrase that. I love starting short stories. And in the last year or kind of since COVID, which you know, it's just like one long year, although I think it's been longer, you know, year and a half at this point, we'll call it a COVID year. I really tried to hone in on writing sprints, finishing a full flash fiction, say that three times fast in, in a writing sprint and really trying to find the end to it because I'm good about starting uh, short stories because I have a setting or a scene or a character in my head. And I'm not so good at ending them because this is my theory at this point, because what's in my head is not the ending. It's just more the setting or the character. So I'm trying to work a little bit on finding the ending, which I think if I can find the ending possibly quicker or first, that will help me still find the beginning. Like I I just don't find beginnings difficult, not as difficult as endings. So in order to keep myself accountable, because I am in a class for the next eight months with Tracy Skews, I am very lucky to be in there. I cannot get to an MFA at this point in my life. So she's kind of my MFA at this point. <laughs> so to keep myself accountable to finishing my short stories, because she will keep me accountable, but in the end, you know, she can't force me to write them. I also entered three short story contests. And they're all very different. One of them, I have to use the first few lines that they give me. I am bound to that. I cannot change a letter or a word in those first few lines, which is, you know, confining, actually. You can't just choose whatever you want. And in fact, you find that you might have an idea that sort of goes along with those lines, but might not exactly mesh using those first few lines. So you have to really find a way to transition the story idea that you have using those lines and and seamlessly going into the story. Then I have a short story contest coming up October 15th, which, oh my gosh, is so soon, where they're going to give me the idea, you know, behind it or the premise behind it and the genre that it has to be written in. I will have 24 hours to write it. Now, I heard about this on another podcast, I believe. It might have been from Julie from Story a Day. It might have been her. So I heard about this and I thought, well, that's interesting and sounds like fun. And so I was still, you know, in time for the early bird registration. And so I I signed up for it. Oh my gosh. 
Now, the good thing about that one is that it's not due October 15th. It's like you have to do it. You have to write it on October 15th. And what encouraged me a little bit was listening to Neil Gaiman, I think is how you pronounce his last name, talking about how he wrote talking to girls at parties basically in 24 hours. So I went and found that story and read it. And of course, it was amazing because he's amazing. And I have no illusion to thinking that I'm as good as Neil is. But hey, it is possible to write a nice and a good and a fun short story in that time. I am a little afraid that they're going to like give me some sort of space apocalypse genre that I know nothing about or a mystery. Like mysteries freak me out. I don't, I don't know how to write mystery. <laughs> ah, it'll be so scary. I'll let you know. And then another short story. I'm just on my own. And after the constraints of the other two, I almost feel like I'm free falling with the other one. Like, what do you want? But what do you want? But but what's publishable for you? And what, but what do you actually want? And there are no rules for the third short story. So I will be sending in whatever I can make the best. So I want to encourage you if you are, whether you're starting out or whether you've been writing for a while, you might consider entering a short story contest or finding a literary journal or magazine that you admire, you know, reading a few of editions, I guess, or stories from them to see what they like to publish and try your hand at refining a short story and sending it in. For me, I think the contests are going to work. I just feel a little more, you know, part of a group, I guess. <laughs> My fear is not on high alert. But after these short stories and after I get back from Nepal, because yes, Nepal is on, I am going to send some stories in to journals because I think it's good to always be growing. You never know what they're going to accept, but really what I'm looking for is you never know when they might give you feedback, which would be amazing as well. So I want to encourage you to maybe pull out a short story that you started and never finished, or you just haven't polished off or start a whole new one. Find a journal that you admire and read up on what they're looking for. See if you can finish a story that's worthy of sending into them. Don't worry if they say no. I mean, they choose, you know, one out of 400 submissions or something, or maybe it's more than that. It's okay. You know, as one girl I was listening to probably two years ago, she was looking for an agent and she turned her mindset around by telling herself that she was going to send out 100 queries looking for 100 no's. And I think that's kind of what we have to do sometimes is we got to A, have the courage to send it in. B, know that it's probably going to be a no, but it might not be because of your writing. It might just be because it's not the right time for them. And then you just keep going and you keep sending something in. So go for those 100 no's. Start with the one. (laughs) Go for 10 no's. You know, that's what I'll be doing. I'll be right there along with you. So as you think about that story that you're going to pull out and polish or start writing, Listen to the interview with Ross McMeekin. I encourage you to go find his work. The links are in the show notes to find his short stories and his novel and the literary journal that he edits called Spartan. Enjoy the interview. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I have a special guest with me today, Ross McMeekin. I said it right. Yay. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk to you. You are from Washington. So we're on two ends of the United States today. Love technology. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about your writing career and all that. But um, before we get into your book and your short stories and things, will you give everyone like a little intro to who you are? Yeah, I'm a I'm a writer, novelist, short story writer, kind of do both. Every once in a while, I'll do a, an essay. Um, from Seattle, Washington, born and raised here. I spent some time in LA, but you know, this is my home for sure. Um, I have a couple of kids. I'm a stay-at-home dad as well. And that's that takes up a lot of my time joyfully. And yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. In a nutshell, yes. I am a writer, stay-at-home mom, but I feel like the stay-at-home takes precedent all the time. Yes, it does. <laughs> How many kids do you have? A two. Two, yes. Busy, huh? I got three. Wow. But, you know, they just mesh once you have more than two. <laughs> <laughs> How many children are out here? I don't know. Yeah. So it's fun to be able to do that as a writer, don't you think, to be able to like do your work at home? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a couch writer. I, I write on the couch. So it's great to just kind of relax. It's a little bit more quiet when the kids go to school or when they're out. And uh, there's a comfort level here that I think is really nice. Yeah. So before COVID, you were already working at home? Yes. Yes, I was. So there was that transition in that respect was a little, was not really a transition. Yeah. So did you have to buy, like invest in soundproof headphones once the kids came home? Yeah. Yeah. I've got those. I actually (laughs) got, um, I haven't been using them lately because it's quiet, but I got some like jackhammer headphones that like you use for like construction work. Oh my God. And it worked really well. So I, I did that for a while. They're kind of big, you know, they looked like oranges on either side of my ear, but it was, it was nice. That's nice. Cause it actually also sends a visual signal to the children and the spouse of, Hey, don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working. Exactly. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand the process of writing is sometimes just staring off into space. At least it is for me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm a pacer. Yeah. I, I pace around and then just kind of think about stuff. And my kids are like, why are you pacing? I'm like, I'm thinking. You know? So every once in a while, they follow me around and it's kind of fun. So, Oh, that's awesome. So let, let's talk a little bit about how you came to be a writer, stay-at-home dad. So what, what was it about writing that caught your attention? Well, I think um, I grew up in a bookish family. My dad was uh, was an educator. My mom worked at a bookshop. So I spent a lot of time in that world and I read a lot. And I always kind of wanted to be a writer growing up, but I had lots of other interests, you know, that were a little bit more exciting. And um, But then when I went to college, um, I had the opportunity to be a, an English major. And that's when I really mm. got into the literature part of it and understood how stories work and how novels work. And I kind of fell in love with it. But at the time, I was also really wanting to be in ministry. Mm. So I was, I went to seminary for about, I got about halfway through seminary and I was working in a ministry in Malibu, California and like a campus ministry with Pepperdine students. And I was like, that this is going to be my career. I want to do this. And then what I found out was I couldn't do it like personality wise, like mm. all of the, all of the um, meeting with people, standing up, speaking, all that sort of stuff. I just couldn't sustain it. Mm. And so what I found though 
writing was that I would write out all my sermons, you know, so like eight or nine pages for each Tuesday night in front of 100, 150 college students. And that was kind of like my writing training. Okay. You know, and I realized I love this. And I, so I took some classes on the side from UCLA Writers uh, Extension and um, really fell in love with it even more. And uh, after a couple of years of that, I was like, I'm, I'm, you know, I need to check out of ministry and, and get into get into creative writing. So I went to Vermont College of Fine Arts, a low residency okay. program in Montpelier and had a blast, learned a ton and uh, started started writing after that really seriously and then kind of just worked and worked and um, made my way up to writing short stories at first. I had a few publications and then I had an agent show interest in me and signed on with her and then um, got that first novel out and yeah. which was just which was just wild a wild experience and have been I've working on novels since then you know and so I just it's something that I do it's something that I I love to do every day you yeah. know and, and that's something that I know a lot of people can't say about their job that they love to kind of come to their office every day and kind of do it and that's something for me that I feel really fortunate to have so yeah yeah, that's amazing that you found it. I I think you found it and you had the courage to take that dive because I'm sure that wasn't easy, that transition no. of like, hey, I'll, I'm going to go be a writer. And everyone's like, yeah, sure. Maybe when you retire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not a, there's, you know, there's not a ton of confidence. You say being a writer, it's it's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, can can people do that? Are you the type of person that could do that? Are you for real? Most? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to be a musician. Sure you are. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be a starving artist. That's it. Uh, no, but this is, podcast is about telling people that you can do this. Yes. So I'm interested a little bit before we get to your book about the process of learning storytelling. Because I have found that, at least in my own personal experience, I sort of had this weird idea, I guess, or pride issue when I was younger. Like I knew I could write, but I thought that I should know everything without being taught the intricacies of storytelling. You know, like you have this thing, like I have talent. That means, you know, if if I admit that I don't know everything, everyone will think I'm not actually a writer. It's that imposter syndrome, I guess is oh, what they totally. call it now. So how was it to come to that decision that you wanted to go study storytelling and tell us a little bit more about how that was other than it sounds like it was awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was difficult to make a change. I mean, it was one of those things where I was in a career that I mm. thought was going to be my career for a long time. And to make that change, I had to convince myself mm-hmm. you know, that it was that it was worth doing one, because that's something that our culture doesn't necessarily value writing, fiction writing in that same sort of way that they'll value like a nurse, which is valuable, of course, but they, there's not the same sort of psychological support that kind of happens from the culture. Yes. So, um, so I had to, had to convince myself that it was okay. And definitely, you know, it's funny that I think convincing myself was tougher than the people around me. Like my, mm-hmm. my family and my wife were very supportive. They believed in me. They said, you should go for this, but it was tough because there is that imposter syndrome. And it's, that's something that I felt like I had to overcome and have to continue to overcome to be like, I belong at the table. I can, yeah. I can do this. I'm in a community. I'm not on the outside. And so that, that process was tough. And I also had to have some people believe in me. Like I remember in the grad program, I, I applied to a bunch of grad programs and the first year I, I, I applied to one and I got rejected and I was like, okay, next year I'm going to apply to a bunch. And I got into one and I got to talk to the professor and actually get feedback on my work. And they believed in me. And I oh, was cool. like, oh my gosh, I 
they believe that I belong here. And um, that kind of transferred over to me. So having mentors like that helped um, yes. to be able to be like, yeah, I believe. And then for me, um, it was a process of going, I like my own writing, but also that terrifying, like you mentioned, there's that terrifying part where you go, I don't know what I don't know. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, I don't really, yeah, I don't like the world, you know, the writing opens up the world of writing, you kind of read some craft books and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what these, what the language is here around it. I've got to learn a new language around craft and that sort of thing. But so overall it was, it was tough and I needed help with it, but ultimately it was me coming to terms with the fact that like, this could be um, a career, could be a part of my identity and that it would be something that I would have to believe in myself. Mm. You know, so yeah that's i love that and I, I think um writers for some reason we don't we don't get the good feedback that a lot of other artists might get and for some reason there's this like resistance to finding mentors get like this idea of they'll find out i'm a fraud or maybe they'll yeah. say things that i don't know we're, we're so like whenever you get feedback, you're always like, oh, but I like that sentence. <laughs> you get yeah. like this defensive thing. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we can keep our art hidden. Like maybe a painter, it's kind of more out there music. I don't know. Yeah. I'm making up these theories in my head as I go along, but I'm trying to break us writers out of this because you mentioned getting feedback. And I think that is so important. And yet it's sort of missing in the beginning of your career. And it's hard to find really good feedback unless you go to a grad program where you kind of have to for your grade, right? You have yeah. to, <laughs> but breaking that fear and then getting good feedback that will help you toughen up a bit, I think, to the critics, but also just make you better. That's yeah. And that's the point, right? Yeah. It's tough to get feedback. And even, even after grad school for where I'm at, you know, when people are, people write in, you know, I'm, they write inconsistently, you know, in that sort of saying. So to get that sort of feedback, like I have a group that meets every other week and it's, and it's consistent. It's like eight people and, and then four people can go every week mm. and getting that feedback every week and where I'm at, it's still just, just great. But like a, a good writing group is hard to find, you know, kind of that Flannery O'Connor thing. It's, it's just, it's tough to find that thing, but it's so critical, you know, because you have people that can shine a mirror to your work and then you see it in a new way. And then yes. you're able to, even if you don't take it, even if you don't take the advice or the feedback, or then you can kind of go, yeah. But you mentioned, it's like, it's hard. It is. It's like, I go to writing group and, you know, you get feedback and you definitely, my ego is kind of like, ah, you know, this is great, but, um, yeah, you know, I've been published of, in Tin House. Leave me alone. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm the best, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And it's like, then every Tuesday night or every other Tuesday night, you kind of sink down and it's like, okay, I've got a lot of work. To do. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and yet, you know, looking at the good side of it and what we should always tell ourselves is like, this is what keeps us getting to do what we love, right? Like you get better and better. And that's, that's always great. Yes. So how you mentioned you write short stories. You've been published in quite a few prestigious places that I only dream of at this point. <laughs> um, so do you think writing short stories is an important part of a writer's career? Like, would you have ever gone straight to novels or how, how did the short stories sort of come into play there as you're, as you're becoming a writer? I, I started with short stories and I love okay. short stories. So it became kind of that thing where in grad school, I mostly studied, I think I did one workshop that was novel writing when I was very beginning, but like my 
my thesis was short story writing. And when I was going to UCLA extension, it was stories too. And one of the things I found with short story writing that helped with novel writing was really solidifying scenes and to do it Mm. with, with as few words as possible, like really kind of getting, getting it down until it was really concise. And uh, that helped me out with novel writing in terms of like, how do I steer this in, in a direction that people will want to read and continue reading. So for me and my style, you know, and trying to be a little bit more on the minimalist side, it really helped that out and seeing arcs like story arcs, you know, kind of resemble chapter arcs in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, you know, at least in a traditional short story. And so that kind of helped me out with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love the idea of like sharing a whole story that you can read not over days, but yes. <laughs> maybe on, on a commute. Uh, I used to live in a big city. I could read on the Metro, you know, now yeah. I have to find it all on audio, <laughs> yeah. but short stories, I think can help you nail the beginning, which can be difficult for some people. For me, it's the ending, like not mm-hmm. to have a cliche ending or just like get bored and be like, Oh, happily ever after who cares? <laughs> move on to the next thing. I'm a bit right. ADD in my writing, but like you really have to focus. Otherwise it's just like, it's just a setting more than it is a story, you know, unless you can complete that arc. Yes. Yeah, totally. It's, it's gotta, it's gotta move. You gotta keep people reading in that too. So with the tension of that versus like, I, as a writer, there's a lot of things that I want to do that the short story is kind of like, nope, like the form is kind of like, you can't do that. You know, you can stretch out with a novel and, um, and there's not as much room for that, at least in the stories that, that I write. Yeah. There's not as much space for flowery prose when the magazine says you only get 2000 words and you're like, yeah, but it's 7,000. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do I cut this? <laughs> I got to cut all my darlings. I was listening to someone the other day and they quoted Hemingway, but then I couldn't find the quote, but he was like, write a, an excellent, beautiful, wonderful sentence and then cut it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, <laughs> just cut all the flow, whatever you love, you know, because you think it makes you look a little bit more literary, I guess. He was like, just cut it out. <laughs> like, oh, that's harsh. That's harsh for all of us. I do want to talk to you about this book because the reviews are, oh my goodness. So could you tell us a little bit about The Hummingbirds? And then it's a psychological thriller, which I find just the fact that people can write psychological thrillers is amazing to me because my brain doesn't work (laughs) that way. But tell us what it's about. And I would love to hear about how you came up with the idea. Sure. It's about three characters and it plays off of the classic pool boy motif where there's there's a guy who's basically the pool boy and then there's an aging starlet quote unquote and then there's the the big time movie producer and so it plays with basically it goes through all sorts of deception and and difficulties and it's talking about in a lot of ways like the stereotypes that we have are things that like we stay away from as writers but a lot of times as people there's a draw to those stereotypes because there's a comfort in being in a place that people can pin you down and you can pin yourself down there's an identity that's kind of transferred over when you when you go into those things so it's kind of works on on that level but it's you know in that love triangle it's a love story and the the psychological part is i'm really interested in the psychology of the characters and i am in, in my writing in general and um I wanted to show the the psychology of three different characters. So it's written from the point of view of of each of the three characters. And so you kind of get their perspective as they're seen. And then the characters grow because you get from 
you get other people's perspectives on them and kind of the story grows from there. So that's, that's kind of, I know that's probably not a great elevator pitch for the story. Oh, that's fine. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> so did this sort of come out of you living in California? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I lived in Santa Monica, worked in Malibu. So I got to see some of the very high class people. And I mean, uh, the setting started it. I went to one of one of the members of the church that I worked with was very wealthy and had kind of an estate with horses on it and had a staff as well and wow. had quarters and stuff like that. So I got to visit this this property and my mind was just kind of blown as far as like what life could be like because I hadn't been around that at all. And um, that for me kind of sparked this idea of this is a place that a story could really kind of move. So that's kind of where it started. And also some of the culture there, like I got I got a chance to to meet movie stars, you know, I got a chance to meet producers. I got a, I got a chance to meet people who are part of this industry as well. So they served as kind of, I guess, fodder for what I was writing and, yeah. and trying to understand them. So was that, I, I always imagine them being very different from anyone I know. I don't know. There's like this glass house, of, you know, when we look at Hollywood, was it quite a culture shock coming from Washington state to Malibu or, or are they just like us? <laughs> there, no, I, most of them are just like us, but there's little differences, like a little anecdote. I was um, at the church. We were doing this breakfast, kind of like this quote unquote men's breakfast sort of thing. And I met with a bunch of the people of the church Yeah, and um, we were going to cook breakfast. So me, me and my, uh, for, for the folks, there's going to be a speaker. So me and my buddy were like, well, we'll just come over. We'll cook some eggs. You know, we'll do all stuff. We'll get there early. No problem. And then one of, one of the gentlemen in the meeting said, well, I can bring my chef along. Oh. And I thought he was joking. So I said, well, I'll bring my chef too. We can do like a top chef battle. And then he says, I, I didn't know you had a chef. And then I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm showing myself here. So there is these different things about the culture that are like, oh, it's just, there's just a different set of expectations and norms that kind of go with it. They're so, not joking when they say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That would be quite the change. Um, so there's did any short stories come out of this? Like, how many years did you live there in Malibu? Um, four years. Four years. Okay. So that's long enough to like still have your eyes wide open to like, as a writer, kind of character studying. I mean, yeah. we do this subconsciously. Don't nobody who's listening should feel <laughs> weird around writers, but I think we absorb everyone around us and we love people watching. It's like, oh, everything is it's an idea for a story, right? So when you started writing there, did you realize that this is sort of going to be the setting for your book or did that sort of come later? It came later. I think, oh, really? I think you're right. Like it's that sense of where, yeah, you're noticing stuff and then your subconscious kind of like works with it, you know, and for, and, you know, and it's, and then it comes out later. So I didn't, I didn't realize at the time, you know, there was this idea. It was like, this could be great, but as a writer, you're kind of, you've just got this view of it. It's like, you're looking for stories. You're looking at stories yeah. and you kind of are like putting things together and then they kind of are grist for the mill in your brain. And you know, everything can come out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so what was it like to move sort of from short story writing, doing your PhD there? Like, when did you s start writing the novel and really start focusing on, like, was that always kind of your dream? And, and when did you start focusing on writing it? Yeah, that, that was my dream. I, I really started focusing after grad school okay. on that. And it was one of those 
it was, I really started focusing at once an agent contacted me and said, do you know, oh, nice. short story collection, do you have a novel? And I was like, I'm working on one, <laughs> you know? And always stuff. say you're working on one. I'm always almost done. <laughs> there's some advice. If an agent contacts you, you're working on a novel. And, um, oh, but wait, so, okay. So stop the story. An agent contacted you because I hear that it's hard just to get an agent to pay attention to your query letter. So how did this happen? How did they find you? Well, I had a I had a short story uh, in Pank Magazine, uh, which is this indie magazine that's still around. And um, they noticed the story and emailed me and said, hey, I really like your story. Do you have anything like that? So, you know, publishing short stories can really wow. help you in terms of, in terms of like agents will be reading them. And then, yeah, so that's a way to kind of, kind of skip the query process, which is, which is really tough. So that's, you know, because you're actually getting to show someone your story, whereas with a query letter, you just, that's it, you know, and it's tough to kind of, how do you put your novel into a one page query letter? It's really tough. Yeah. Okay. So they call you or they email you and they ask, and as a good writer says, you say, yes, I'm working. (laughs) I have an idea. So how close, like, were you, tell us about the process. Were you on a timeline? Like, how did that work? No, there wasn't a, she didn't give me a timeline, but um, I just worked as fast as I could, mm. as fast as I could manage. And I, I had a, a couple of friends, beta readers who were willing to read it and give me feedback on it. And I did a, a mentorship with a writer that I really admire and kind of gave me feedback as well. And so that, that was ways that I could kind of speed up the process and kind of realize what what exactly I'm working with and lots of revision. You know, I read, mm. I had the novel was written from different perspectives. It went from first person to third person after oh. I was about 150 pages into it and was like, went from one character's perspective to three characters perspective. So I just kind of those things that you, you, you can only realize a hundred pages in, you know, and yes. it's like, ah, oh, I've got to do this. And then I just kept going with it. So. Oh, and what's great about your story is like, you don't really want to lose the interest of the agent, right? So what might frustrate a writer who hasn't yet sold it, quote unquote, or has interest in it, they might leave it for months, but you were a self-imposed time clock, but you don't really want to just leave it for two years and hope that the agent's still interested, right? So you, like how often, how much did you work on this? What was your life like and how long did it take you to, to actually finish it? Like finish it, send it in. Yeah, I think it took me a couple years, but from when I started it to when it went to publication was six years. So there was that much time, but then I got feedback on it from my agent. Here's some changes I'd suggest. And then went back and forth a a few times in in that space of time. So it it took some time. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially the first novel, you know, if anyone's like, you know, nail on the, on the first novel, it's, it's a huge learning process, yes. you know? So that's what I found out too, is like, I, once again, it's like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then I worked on it and I had to learn, you know? So it's learn on a job sort of thing. That's writing. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, I think most people's first novel never gets published, <laughs> you know? So yeah. you're like on that crunch of, no, I, I actually have to finish this and finish it well. And then, you know, so you're, yeah, you are learning a lot. And in the meantime, you're probably doing other work as well. Cause you still got to eat and feed your family, get your right. kids to school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the other part of my life that like, yeah, exactly. I was work, you know, I was working at a, at a college, like working at their writing center, you know? So I got into the writing, but I was doing that and I didn't have kids at the time, but I, I was just doing everything to kind of keep a home, a home 
Yes. Mowing the lawn, you know, yes, <laughs> doing laundry, that sort of stuff. And so I just fit it in when I could. At that time, I was an afternoon writer. Mm. Now I'm a morning writer, but I was an afternoon writer. And so I just take the afternoon and write as much as I could until dinner time and then just go with it. So did at any point your wife think that the story had overtaken? <laughs> did you ever think- sit at dinner and be like, should the pool boy do this? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, she's very gracious. I, I suspect she might've gotten pretty bored with it after a lot of time, you know, me asking questions. She's, she was very cool about it, but it is, I think, it, well, there, there's an interesting, like, what's it like to be a, a spouse of a, of a writer? It's like, you kind of got, you end up, at least for, for my situation, I, I, she's, she sees a lot. She's my first reader. So she sees a lot of my work. So. Yeah. So that's cool though, that she's seen how much it's grown as well. Like how much work it takes to make a, a novel. And and I think these days with indie publishing, I'm an indie publisher. I have nothing against indie publishing clearly, but because we sort of expect this like rapid fire of books, you know, that I think we've lost this idea that like, there are some really good stories that take time to write and like, that's okay. Yeah. You know, I was reading Pity the Reader, I think pity the writer or reader it's about Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. I never know how to say that. It's a, it's the last name I've read several times that I've never heard oh. pronounced, but how like oh. his, you know, slaughterhouse five took decades really to write it well oh. and rewrite it. You know, it's like, it's okay. I, I like to remind myself because it took me a few years to write my novel too. I'm, I'm a slow writer. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So do you um, plot or do you pants? What's that? Know, do you plot or pants? We know What's you pace. Pants? Oh, pace, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, pants, I guess they call it, um, you don't plot, basically. You just go with it and write, and apparently the characters will let you know where the story's going to go. Or do you plot wow. it out and you know where you're going? Um, I have, I plot it out, but then I change the plot. But you so change it. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of have this running document that I'll, I'll, I'll write. And then it's, I think it gives me comfort. The plot, the idea that I have a plot gives me comfort. Yes. And so I have the plot going and then I'll inevitably I'll be like changing it throughout. So it's kind of a hybrid. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I like that. Sometimes you just need to know where it's going. And then, you know, if you take a do tour around the world, as long as you end up somewhere, did you know the ending before you wrote it? Like before you started? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Yeah. And, um, and I'm not against that. I know some people kind of side on other ways, but like for me, that, that came later. It came later. And and then once I had it, I went, you know, it's, I don't know. My experience with the book was once I had the ending, then, and I knew it, then I went back to the beginning and went through it again. Cause I was like, Oh, this is going to, this is going to determine some of the stuff at the beginning of the book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So you went back and made sure that it was really all the time leading up to that ending. Oh, that's yeah. good. So that's good advice for any writer. Yeah. I, I, as a, again, I struggle with ending. So I'm always like, oh, at, you know, midnight in my bed, like, Oh, what should the ending be? I don't know. Yeah. What, are, what are they doing here? I don't know. How did my character end up in the desert? I don't know <laughs> what happened. We took a wrong turn. So in the meantime, this came out in 2018. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, cool. Before the COVID. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's so, a pre-COVID problem. Yes. Everyone who got launched in COVID, I 
I feel bad for them. Um, so what have you been doing since then? Are you working on more novels? Like, was that an enjoyable experience? Do you want to write yeah. more <laughs> No, it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was one of the more difficult things I've done in my life, but enjoyable, you know, fulfilling. Since then, I'm working on novels and short stories. I'm still kind of toggled between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love big projects, but they wear me out. So then I'll yeah. kind of, it's nice to have that sense of where, like you said, you can, you can read a story all the way through, you can work on it. And in the odd times, it's a little bit easier, at least in my experience, to, to jump into a short story and jump out. Whereas the immersion of a novel um, requires for me a, a little bit more space and time. And I've got to just be doing that. So I've, I've been working on a on, on a couple novels that are in various stages of being quote unquote done. Yes, yeah, so whatever <laughs> and, uh, that means. <laughs> whatever that means. So um, I've been working on that. One is a one is a contemporary novel that takes place um, in near where where I live, and it's in COVID times. And another one takes place. Where does it take place? Oh my gosh. Oh, it takes place five years ago. So it's pre-COVID and then it's moving its way up to COVID times. Mm. And uh, one of them's really short. That one is really short. One of them's a little bit longer. And so I love both of the novels, but you know, you can never tell what's going to happen with these things. So I'm just, my, my thing is just to keep working on it and we'll see. I love that you say you're working on two, because I do that as well. Again, I'm not sure if I'm undiagnosed ADD or if I just have never learned to focus. And some people think I'm crazy. I'm like, I don't know, because sometimes I get an idea for something, the other one. Like, I need to have two at the same time. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So it says in your bio that you won a writer fellowship from Hugo House and Jack Straw, or is is that two different places? Yeah, that's two different places. Okay, so what... Can you tell us what that means? Well, I got to, basically it meant that I got a, in Hugo House, there's a mentor that there was about six of us. Okay. Paulette was one of the people that was at Hugo House that we were in in um, okay. the um, fellowship together. And we had meetings, we had kind of readings and opportunities and Peter Mountford kind of mentored us. We got to meet with an agent. We got to meet with a literary writer for like a newspaper, like mm-hmm. a reviewer, excuse me. And um we did that. That so that was more focused on developing the careers of writers in terms of reading experience, that sort of thing. Jack Straw is was an audio place, so it was it was more live readings. Like they they were part of it. They bring in people to teach us how do you how do you stand next to a mic? You know how how do you present? How do you read in front of people in an effective way? How do you give an interview? How do you do those sorts of things? Oh, so wow. that was the practical side of the Jack Straw, which was great. And there was about twelve of us, nice. and. Uh, yeah, both both were great experiences. Yeah, that's. Do you think that is something that writers should look at, look into, or like that? It sounds like it's continuing your education, sort of in a different way after your MFA, after you've actually gotten some writing under your belt, and you're kind of seen to be a serious writer. Because lots of people say they're writers, but then they never do anything with it. So, is that something that you would encourage people to look into? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, not not just for the experience and the teaching that went along with it, but I made friends, okay. you know, and yeah. was and you know, writing, you know, we're solitary people. So, the, you know, sometimes I feel like we were forced into situations and we make friends, you know, in that sort of context. And it was like, oh, these people are, are great. And the writers and, you know, as we're talking, as we're doing meetings, we're going through a lot of the same stuff. And it, and it helps because you've got an organization that's kind of got a vested interest in your career moving forward. And there's lots of resources that they can use to do that. So I'd highly suggest it. It was a great experience. Okay. Very cool. I've always wondered what fellowship means. Sounds very prestigious. Yeah. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> 
Uh, so where can people find, they can find your book on Amazon, probably everywhere books are sold and the links are going to be in the show notes. And I will be putting Ross McMeekin. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I said his name wrong before <laughs> we started recording. So I'm trying to pay attention. Ross McMeekin.com. That's going to be in the show notes as well. But is there any place that people can find your short stories um, where they can sort of read what you've been, what you've written? Yeah, um, com is my website, and it's got links to uh, most of my short stories that have come out in the past and ones that are coming out now. So if you want to read my my stuff, go for it. Doesn't okay. doesn't cost as much as buying a book too, and maybe you know you might like the stories. Yeah, but your look at your book is really cool. I love the cover, like yeah, what they did too. with the cover. It's really really great. And as far as short stories and like publishing short stories goes. What would you suggest to writers? I know you said that it's great for it. Like it's how you got an interested agent. Do you read like these literary magazines? There's about a million of them out there. <laughs> like how would you suggest to writers that they um, sort of look into this and and where would they start? Yeah, I'd say, um, I can't believe I'm saying this because it gets a bad rap, but Twitter, literary Twitter oh, is great. That's where... That's where I found out about all the magazines that I and still still am on there. And you can kind of get the word on what magazines are doing what. I'd say re- read a bunch and find ones that you like. Another great um, opportunity is if you want to get into how that works is to become a reader. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these, they'll, they'll offer a lot of literary journals will have, you know, a dozen readers and then the editors and that sort of thing. You get to read a ton of stuff. So, you know, checking out magazines, reading stories. And then potentially becoming a reader and being involved in that. I know for me, um, I edit a literary journal and have like for the past nine years, and that's been really helpful. Just because, well, one because I love it and, and it's great, but it's it's also helpful to just read a ton of stuff, see what people are doing, what's going on, you know, different styles. And so, yeah, the literary journal world kind of revolves around literary Twitter. So check that out. Interesting. I had no idea. I got off of Twitter years ago because it just drove me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cost to being on Twitter for sure. There is such a big cost. So I forgot to ask you about being the editor for Spartan. How did you get into that? And what's it like to be an editor? I'll, I'll start with one question. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's great. And Spartan's just me and my friend. Okay. And we basically, we get submissions. Did you guys we, start it? Yeah, we started oh, it. Oh, okay. And so I was coming from, I was an assistant editor at a big journal called Hunger Mountain. Okay. Um, that was out of my grad school and there was a big staff. And what I found was that I really enjoyed that part of it, but I kind of wanted to be involved with everything, including reading submissions, choosing stories, putting them up, working with writers. So I was like, I'd love to make a really small journal and have kind of my friend, Miles, who we do it together. We were like, we don't want to grow big. We kind of want to just do it us too and be involved in everything. So we've pretty much done that. And that's been great. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've made relationships with different writers and been able to just be a part of a publication that comes out and people read it. And it's, it's really, uh, really fulfilling that way. Wow. So is this uh, printed or is it on only online? It's only online. Okay. We did our first few issues. Our first few issues were printed and then we kind of just switched to the online model because what we found in kind of what's tough about literary journals is people don't buy them that often. Okay. You know, there's just not as much of a market. So as far as getting the money back, it pays, I mean, you know, never had any dreams that we were going to become rich from it, but we just decided, you know, doing the literary journal online is great. People can read it, you know, immediately, which is, which is nice. Yeah, that's true. And 
I, that must take a lot of work though, to like go through the submissions and, and decide like, how many do you choose for how many months? Like how many times do you put out a journal and how many stories do you need for that? We put out every, basically quarterly, we put okay. out an issue, but we have, we have the, um, we will not put out an issue if we don't find that we have the stories that we want to put out. Oh, okay. And that's one of the things where we just get to be picky in our own specific way. That's not to say good or bad. It just is our style. Yeah. You know, we get to kind of curate that sort of thing. So we, we have reading, we have a reading period for two months and then a month off to prepare the issue. And then it goes in like the first is when the issues comes off like October 1st, we'll have. Okay. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's work, you know, it's, it's work, but it's, you know, it's cool. Yeah. And I bet you learn a lot, like editing other people's work. Somehow it like sinks into your brain a little bit more. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm editing, I'll go back to my work and I'll be super hyper focused on all those things that you're supposed to cut. (laughs) You're like, why did I say that? I'll almost be like erasing as I'm writing because it's so like at the forefront of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a different lens to put on. And then it kind of shifts over to your writing. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, very cool. So I'll put the link for um, Spartan there as well. Is it a certain theme? Do you guys do a certain theme? We don't do themes. It's minimalist. We Mm. do really short, usually really short stories and really tight. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of the theme for us. Yeah. That would be good for people to read just to like realize how like how you can get a story into that, into a short, I call it flash fiction. I don't know if that's, if you guys yeah. call it that. Okay. Like um, it, it's difficult to do that, but it's a great exercise. So to all the writers listening, probably head over to Spartan and read some of the stuff and maybe try your hand at it. Maybe one day you'll be published there. So I'll have that link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Ross, for coming on and sharing your story with us and your books and your writing. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.